0: I love your pastor. I love him. He's, he's actually speaking for me in Colorado right now, and uh, where, I, you know, you have more snow here uh, this week than we've had there, so I sent him up there to thaw out, okay? I sent him to Colorado to get some warm weather, right? But don't you love your pastor? I love him. I love Pastor Mike. I, I told him, I, I call him every few weeks because I just need to hear a Southern accent, right? He does, He actually doesn't have an accent. Everyone else does, right? But I love your pastor. Let me tell you something. How I judge at pastors and how I evaluate them. I listen to what pastors say about their congregation when no one else is listening. And he loves you. He loves this city. He loves. He talks about you. He prays for you. When I talk, I ask him how things are going. He loves you. And can we just thank the Lord for good shepherds, good pastors, and for Pastor Mike. I love him. And I am uh, super honored to be here today. I am from Louisiana. My wife and I born and raised in Louisiana. We now live on the front range of the Rocky Mountains. And uh, we love it up there, but we love coming home, love coming back here and having good food, right? Come on. And uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. And I have a good message for you today. I really, uh, I don't wake up at four in the morning very often, but this morning I was up really early. Because the Lord has really given me a word for you today. And this is going to be a word that I think is going to awaken some hearts in this room. Can we just agree together? Would you lean in a bit with me today? I know I'm the guest speaker, I'm the guy who doesn't speak very often, but I feel like from time to time, I know this happens at my church, the Lord sends in outside voices many times to give us a prophetic word. And I believe that's what's going to happen this morning. I believe that the Lord wants to awaken some hearts. And I'm going to talk about something that when you hear the title, you may think that you're already doing this. But I want to challenge what we believe about trusting God. What does it really mean to trust God? And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 15. I love this passage of Scripture. It's used oftentimes with benedictions. People say this as a blessing over the church. But I want to read this today, Romans 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you. With all joy and peace. And look at this next phrase. As you trust in him, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. And then look at the last phrase. It says, and so that you may overflow, that you may be live in abundance, that you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in Him. Let me ask you a question Do you believe right now, as you're sitting there today watching online, that all of your life belongs to God? Do you really believe that you are completely trusting God with every part of your life? Your health, your kids. Come on, I just started teaching two teenagers to drive. Anybody out there? Have you t- anybody here teaching teenagers to drive right now? Can we just have a group hug right after the service? I need some support. I need some moral support right now. I have a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old that are working, they're going to school, they're driving. And so I'm learning to trust God like never before. My prayer life has never been better. I'm just telling you, I'm an intercessor like never before. <laughs> and they're out driving. In fact, my daughter, I, my prayer is don't hit anything expensive. Like, if you're going to hit a car, hit a cheap car, right? Well, my daughter hit an expensive car. I just paid that first insurance bill, post rec bill. It's really fun. A lot of excitement at our house. A lot, of, lot less driving at my house, I can tell you that. But I've learned to trust God with every part of my life. Do you trust Him when you get a bad report from the doctor? Do you trust Him when the economy's good? Do you trust Him when it's bad? When gas prices are up, when gas prices are down? Come on, do you trust the Lord with every part of your heart? When I was 22 years old, I really came to Christ. I really started following Jesus at 22. And my pastor in Shreveport, Louisiana, where I grew up in that area, I'm a Yankee, right, from north Louisiana, up there north of Alexandria, way up there. And my pastor said to me when I was a young man, Brady, you've got, to, you've got to hide the word of God in your heart. Memorize scripture. You need to let the scriptures breathe on you. I remember him saying to me over coffee one day, let the scriptures breathe on you, Brady. Let the scriptures breathe into you and over you. And, and so memorize the scriptures. And I was 22 years old. Pam and I had just gotten married. She's, we've been married 28 years now, so you can do the math. I just, I just turned 50, right? And uh, so I've been married to this girl for 28 years. She's been my girlfriend for almost 31 years. And uh, so we were happily married, and, and so I was brand new to being a husband. We were living in a new town, and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And this is one of the first scriptures that I memorized. And, it, and it, became, it actually became my life verse for lots of reasons, but I want you to look at Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. He will lead you. Some translation says he will lead you in the straight paths. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now that phrase, trust in the Lord, if you understand the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew language is shaped, this is an emotional word called batak. Batak. And I just butchered that with my southern accent, but that's how you say it. Someone who speaks Hebrew would say it better, but Batak trust in the Lord. So it's an emotional word. In other words, when you're reading this out loud, you don't say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. No, the Hebrews, when they would see this word written in front of them, they would go, batak, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It's an emotional word. It means everything. It means putting all of your chips on the table, going all in, uh, holding nothing back. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In fact, you can't read it without being emotional. It would be a violation of the Hebrew language to read this in a way that doesn't show emotion. But talk, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So this morning, I want to ask you four things. There are four signs to me. As I'm evaluating my life now that I turned 50, And I've been asking the Lord, do I trust you now the way I trusted you at 22 years old? And so I want to speak just for two minutes here to those of you who are my age or older. And the question that I've been asking myself all of this year, I turned 50 back in January, the Lord came to me early one morning back in January and said, Brady, when you were 21 and 22 years old, you trusted me with all of your heart. You would go where I said go You would do what I say do. You would say what I told you to say. There was this uh, almost a childlike innocence about my obedience when I was 22 years old. He said, Brady, now that you're 50, will you trust me the way you did when you first started following me? So my question for all of us today is, I want you to remember the first time that you really knew that Jesus loved you, cared for you. When did you really say yes following Jesus. I want you to remember that first real personal encounter with the Holy Spirit where you realize that the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit was very real to your life. And I want you to remember the first time you made a decision in your heart to follow Jesus with reckless abandon. I want you to remember the first time that you ever stepped out of the boat the way Peter stepped out of the boat. When you were willing to To put it all on the line, to put all your chips on the table, to to do something that would seem reckless to other people but made perfect sense to you because God asked you to do it. Let me ask you now, are you playing it safe? Does your life look different now than it was back then? Are you playing things safer now? Let's be honest, when you're in your 20s, and, I, and I'm grateful, by the way, for passionate 20-year-olds, so I'm not at all diminishing your obedience to God. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I have a church full of 20-somethings who are fired up for Jesus, and I encourage them all the time to be passionate and powerful and to be bold in their faith. But in your 20s, when you're 20 or 21 or 22 and you go all in for Jesus, there's not a lot at stake there. I mean, if, if Pam and I had lost everything in our 20s, we would have lost $500, okay? I mean, it, it, not, there wasn't a lot of money to lose. We were poor and we didn't have any money. And so to go all in for Jesus and move to Africa for three years, it would have cost us about 500 bucks. And we still, it's a bold move, right? But there's not as much on the line at 21 as it is when you're 50. And it's easy when you turn 50 and 60 and 70 to start following Jesus in a safer way, to follow the safe path instead of the bold, trusting path. And I've been asking myself these questions, do I really trust God? And here I am. I'm a pastor of a church in Colorado Springs. I've been pastoring pastor in a long time now, 22 years I've been a pastor. So I'm going to give you four things that I've been evaluating in my own life. And i just share these with you about whether or not I trust God like I used to trust him. And the first question is the first sign that I'm trusting God is, do, we, do I believe what God says? Do I really believe it? Do I really believe what the scriptures say about me? And do I really believe in what the scriptures say about you? Let me tell you, some of you are struggling with forgiveness, how to forgive another person. Let me tell you what happens. We read the Bible and we believe everything the Bible says about us, but we have a hard time believing what the Bible says about them. And the only way we will ever truly forgive another person who has hurt us or wounded us is, to, first of all, believe what the Bible says about us and also believe what the Bible says about someone else. Because if it's true about us, it's true about them. If I've been adopted, accepted, and forgiven, then they've also been adopted and accepted and forgiven. And And so if we are going to learn to trust God for ourselves, we have to also learn to trust God for other people. So the question I have for myself is, do I really believe that the Scriptures are speaking to me, to me, about me, to others, about others? Let me show you this passage this is another uh, one of those scriptures that i learned early on as a young man 22 years old psalm 119 105 your word is a lamp to my feet a light to my path do you wake up every morning praying that prayer lord today i'm going to believe what you say about me i'm going to ask today lord that your word would be a lamp to my feet a light to my path today i want you to show me through your scriptures where to go what to say what to do Lord, would you shine the light of your scriptures on my life today? Would you shine the light of your scriptures on my family today? When I go into my workplace, would you shine the light of your scriptures today? See, I prayed that at 22, and I lived it at 22. Here I am at 50, and 60s looking me in the, in, in the face right now. It's coming quicker than I want. And will I be the same faithful person at the end of the race that I was at the start of the race. Listen, it's easy to start running. It's hard to keep running. I mean, by the way, you don't ever see anybody smiling when they jog, but you know, that's why I don't jog. Nobody smiles, right? Next time you see somebody running down the road, they're not smiling. It's hard work. That's why you shouldn't jog. You don't smile when you jog. Listen, (laughs) this is true, by the way. I just gave you some revelation there. Nobody's smiling when they're jogging because it's hard work. And this is the part of following Jesus. We start out that first half mile. We're so excited. It's the last half mile that's the hard part. And this is where we need to be as a church. We need to encourage those 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds to be faithful and full of God and passionate. But we need some 70-year-olds who are faithful and passionate and full of the Holy Spirit. Come on. We need all of us doing this. Do we believe what God says? Here's the second thing. Do we trust God with our secrets? Listen to your prayers. And when was the last time you confessed before the Lord a broken area of your life because you could trust God to respond in a gracious way back to you? You know, we stopped telling God our secrets because we stopped believing God is gracious. Let me tell you something about the lost art of repentance and confession. We've, I believe the church is suffering right now because we've lost the awe and the joy, actually, of confessing our sins before the Lord. And let me tell you why we don't confess. We don't confess because we don't believe God's going to be gracious. We, don't, we confess because we think we're having to beg God to forgive us. But we don't confess our sins, and we don't repent to beg God to forgive us. He has already made up his mind to forgive us. Jesus has already gone to the cross and took all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our guilt upon him. He cannot go back to the cross to keep paying for our sins. He paid for the sins of yesterday, the sins of today, and the sins of tomorrow 2,000 years ago outside the Jerusalem city walls. He took all of that upon himself. So listen, let me clear up some confusion for you. God has already made up his mind. God has already decided to forgive you. It's done. You're forgiven. You know why we confess our sins before the Lord? Not to beg God to forgive us, to admit our need for it. We confess our sins. we come before the Lord to confess our sin, to admit that we need his grace that we can't do it on our own, that I'm powerless unless God gives me power. We don't confess our sin to ask, maybe God's in a good mood today and won't strike me down. Maybe he'll be kind to me today. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, Lord, I am broken and you are my healer. I can't live without your grace. Therefore, I confess before you, Lord, I come before you, God, today to confess my absolute need for you. I cannot live in this darkness and find the healing that I can find only in the light. The healing is in the light. It's not in the darkness. Therefore, I come into the light, and I accept your grace. I need your grace. But this is a part of trusting God. In fact, our private prayers will reveal our trust for God. How you pray in private reveals your level of trust for God. Do we believe what God says, and can we trust Him with our secrets? Here's the third question I've been asking then, which leads me to the third question: Do we believe God is good? Do we really think that? Pastor Brady, I mean, I, that sounds good for you. He probably likes you more than me. Well, I think that about you. I think he likes you more than me. We all, we're all wrestling with this. Do we believe God loves us? Do we believe God loves them? Do we believe God loves us? Do you believe, and, and then you can fill in the blank for who them is. Do we believe God is good to all of us? Do we, believe that the, the, do we believe that the inherent nature of God is good? Do you believe he wishes us good? Do you believe that God has his best intentions for us? Do you think God's motivated to bless and not curse? I'm not saying that God is just a benevolent grandfather that gives us what we want. That's not what I'm saying. But do you believe that God at his best, at his core, at his nature is good? All the time good. Do we believe that about God? Because it'll change the way we pray then. It'll change when we confess and how we confess. If God is good, then I am going to believe that all things will work together for good to those who Believe him, who trust, which that word believe is a word for trust. All things will work together for good to those who believe, who trust in him. It changes everything then. It changes my attitude. It changes my opinions. It changes my politics. It changes everything about my life if God is good. Here's the fourth thing, and this is the most important thing. If all all three things are true, if all those things that I've just said are true, then it leads me to number four, and it's the biggest question that I've been asking and I'm asking you today. If all that's true, that I can trust God with my secret, that God wants to lead me, that God is good, then the fourth question is, are we willing to follow him? Are we really willing to follow God even when it doesn't make sense? See, right now, this is the season of Advent on the church calendar. This is the season of Advent, of Christmas. And the word Advent, you know what the word Advent means? It means waiting, to wait. So when you say, I'm in the season of Advent, it's a reminder that we can trust God while we're waiting on him. We can trust God in this season of waiting. We can trust God when it doesn't make sense. You see, from the time the last prophet spoke about the coming Messiah, there was about 600 years of silence. Some people believe there was 800 years of silence, but it's really unclear, quite honestly. It six to 800 years of waiting and silence. From the last time a prophetic word was spoken about the coming Messiah, there was about six to 800 years of silence on the Earth: Silence. And the advent season is a reminder that we can trust God while we wait for him. Let me ask you a question. Are you waiting on God for something right now? I bet every person in this room and everyone watching online, you're waiting right now for something, and which means you're trusting him. So I want to tell you one more story. Pam and I, when we got married, we were 22, I was 22, she was 21, and we'd been married, I don't know, seven or eight years, and we weren't able to have kids. We were, every doctor that we went to said that we would never have children, that we just weren't physically able to have kids. And it was just devastating to us as a young couple because that was a big dream of ours, to get married, have a family. And then to make matters worse, at least it seemed worse to us, not only were we not able to have kids, but we, uh, the Lord moved us, literally it was a move of God. We moved from Shreveport, Louisiana, where all of our family lived within you know 20 miles of us, my parents, her parents, our brothers and sisters, all of our close friends were in that Northwest part of Louisiana. And the company that I was working for, I was not a pastor at the time, I was working in radio and television. This company asked me to move to Amarillo, Texas to work out there. Now Amarillo, Texas is some of the best people I've ever met in my life out there, but it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's out in West Texas, right? It's a wild west out there and we didn't know anyone. And so by, we just trusted God. And as a young couple, we moved, just the two of us moved out to Amarillo, Texas Uh, not knowing anyone. And we were out there about two or three years, and a company in West Monroe called me and offered me the job of my dreams. I remember in the little tiny house that Pam and I were living in, getting the phone call. This was back before cell phones, okay? It's actually one of those rotary phones, you know, where you had to dial. So if you had a lot of nines in your number, no one ever called you because it was just too much work. Have you noticed that? Remember that? Okay, so if you're under 40, just Google this, okay? You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> there were actual rotary phones. I remember on the phone, this company called me at my house and said, Brady, we want to make you an offer. We know you're from Louisiana, so we want to, we want to get you to come back from, from out in West Texas. We want to hire you. And I remember having a pad of paper down there, and the guy was telling me the offer of the job. It was more money than I did. I was 28 years old at the time, 29 And I'd never made that much money. He was telling me how much they were going to pay me. They were going to pay for all my moving expenses. They were going to give me an apartment to live in while we found a house. And it was 30 minutes from my parents and 20 minutes from my wife's parents' house. Now, we we were 12 hours away at the time. We were going to move within 30 minutes. So this is God, right? Every box is checked. This is God's will for our life. Because God lives in Louisiana. He visits everywhere else. We know that, right? (laughs) Y'all are aware of that, right? So I was gonna move back to Louisiana, nearer to our parents, all our family and friends. And I remember so being my wife is crying as she is listening to this this conversation on the phone. We hang up the phone, we high five, like, yes, we're going home, we're going home, we get to go home. And I was so excited. I said, don't call your parents because I just want to go out for a walk. You know, I just, to, I just need to go for a walk and clear my head because it was so exciting. All right, this is, this is a true story. Now, sometimes I may uh, fudge the facts to tell a story. You can trust everything I'm about to say, okay? I have a saying, don't let the facts stand in the way of a good story. But listen, <laughs> this is a true story. <laughs> what I'm about to tell you happened just as I'm about to tell you. I'm so excited. This is obviously God's will. I don't have to pray about it, but I prayed about it. So I'll walk out the front door. I remember this. I can see this little house. I literally walked to the front porch and took one step on the front porch step, and I said, Lord, thank you for sending us home. And here's what God said, no. <laughs> it's the first time in my life that God's ever yelled at me, but he had to yell at me. And I'm, I'm literally, he said, No and I stood there stunned. Are you kidding me? This is everything we hope for, to get to move back to Louisiana, back to our family, making more money than we've ever made, all these things that we thought were exactly God's will. And he said, trust me. I literally turned around and walked back in the house and Pam is still standing in the kitchen. She goes, I thought you were going for a walk. And I said, well, I need you to sit down for a moment because the Lord just yelled at me. And I said, we can't take this job. And she said, what? Now I have God yelling at me and my wife yelling at me. And every married man in the room knows you. We can't tell the difference between God and our wives because they all sound the same. God's voice and our wife's voice sounds exactly the same. So my, Pam is saying, What? God is saying, no, and everyone's yelling at me. And I said, Pam, I, I, I know for a fact that we cannot say yes to this, and I don't know why. I wish I, had, I wish I had a good reason to tell you. I don't have a practical, pragmatic reason to tell you this. I just know as I walked out the yard, the Lord said to me, no. And for an hour, we sat and literally sat in the living room and cried. Because we, Pam, Pam grew up, let me tell you something about Pam. Pam grew up in a house where her dad served in the military for 26 years. While he was in the Air Force Reserves finishing up his career, he also served as a police officer in the town where we grew up, where she grew up, for 23 years. He was the captain of the police department. My wife, Pam, grew up in a house where her dad served for 26 years in the military, retired. And 23 years as a police officer, my wife grew up in a home where she could trust her dad's voice, and she learned to trust God because she grew up under an honorable, godly, trustworthy man. Listen, moms and dads, who can tell you how you want your kids to trust God. They first have to trust us. And if our kids can trust us, they will trust God easier. I grew up with a wife who knew how to trust authority. She trusted her dad. And when her dad said something, she trusted it. She had learned to trust the voice of the Lord. In fact, there was a story one time, Pam, uh, not just a few years ago, Pam's walk. I'm going to tell you the next story, how this ends in just a moment. Stay with me, okay? <laughs> but, but let me tell you one more story because Pam was walking through a supermarket a couple of years ago and in the, in the, in the aisle there, of the produce aisle in the grocery store in Colorado was a stack of money on the floor. 20s and 100s, she said. And I said, Pam, how much money was on the floor? She said, it was like that much because she was measuring it by inches, okay? This is how much money was laying on the floor of the supermarket in Colorado just two or three years ago this happened, okay? So she picks up the money and I said, well, where is it? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not as holy as you think I am, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, where's the money? Because I'm thinking, of course, I am thinking, we can help some people with that. We can give that to people. You know? She goes, well, I gave it to the supermarket manager. I went, what? I gave it. It's not mine, she said. I said, yeah, but finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Come on. Right? <laughs> that's, that's in the Bible somewhere, isn't it? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. She said, no, I gave it to the supermarket manager. I said, Why? He goes, because he will do the right thing. And I went, Pam, I'm Captain Cynic, right? I know. We will do the right thing. He may, he's not going to do the right thing. He's going to put it in his pocket. Merry Christmas, right? But this is the woman that I grew up with who learned to trust the Lord. You may call that naive. I call it, she's very innocent. She just knows how to trust. And I'm grateful for it because that day it was tested. So we had to call the guy back and I said, I'm so sorry, Sir. As good as your offer is and as as appealing as it feels to us to be able to move back to Louisiana, I have to tell you no. And he goes, do you need more money? What is it? What is it? We really want you. And I said, I'm so sorry. I, I said, the only way I can describe this is I'm a Christ follower. And I pray about every decision. And the Lord said, No. And I can't tell you another reason other than that. I know I'm going to look foolish to you. I know that sounds foolish. I said, but it's just the way we live our lives. And I don't know if the guy's a godly guy or not. He goes, I don't think he really understood. And he was upset with me. And but I hung up the phone. Let me tell you what happened two months later. Two months later, I got another phone call from a pastor of the church where we attended in Amarillo, Texas. And he said, Brady, um, I have a lady in my office. She's six months pregnant, and she's sitting here in my office right now. And she, I know this is West Texas, okay? She said she was mowing her yard, and she was six months pregnant with a push mower, okay? She's pushing mowing. This is West Texas women, right? So she's push mowing her yard, six months pregnant, and she realizes I can't be a mom to this baby. And she said, "I, I wonder if Brady and Pam would adopt this little baby. He said, So, Brady, would you and Pam pray about adopting this baby? And I said, Yeah, we'll pray about it. Yes. (laughs) I just prayed. (laughs) Three months later, we brought Abram home. He's 19 years old today. He's a sophomore in college. Beautiful. He is, he's spectacular. I mean, I'm telling you, he's, He's half Italian. He's got green eyes and dark eyebrows. He's killer. I mean, he's killer. And his, his, his birth father is a nuclear physicist. So he's obviously not my biological son when you... <laughs> and he's really smart. I mean, I, I, I think because of the TV show Sheldon, he's Sheldon, okay? He just, he just, I have no idea what he's talking about. He's obviously not my biological son. But he's a joy, a gift, a gift to us. Two years later, a 19-year-old single mom who, uh, and Pam and I have been praying for years and years and years for a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. I have no idea why we prayed very specifically for a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. This 19-year-old single mom calls us two years later and says, I'm nine months pregnant, and um, would you meet with me? When we met with her, she had red curly hair and blue eyes, the single mom. She's carrying a baby in her womb. She says, I'm giving birth in three weeks. And every time I pray about this baby, the Lord says, you're the parents. Would you take this little, and it's a little girl. Would you take this little girl? If, if I were, if I'm going to give it life, will you give it a home? I'll, I'll never forget what she said to me. I'm going to give it life. Will you give it a home? I said, we'll pray about it, yes. <laughs> and honestly, in the food court at the mall one day, we met her and said, we'll be your Will be the parents. Nacalli's seventeen years old today. She is amazing. She's amazing, amazing. And she has really long, red, curly hair and the brightest blue eyes you've ever seen in your life. Now, let me just say this. I I feel really impressed to say this to some of you because I think there's some young women here that you're trying to decide about life. Give, give life. I, I don't know the circumstances of your pregnancy. And I'm not here to judge you for that. I'm not. I'm not here to, to shame you or make you feel guilty. Whatever happened, that's between you and the Lord, and I'll let you work that out with God. But you give life. Please give life to the baby. Give life to it. Give life. Speak life. Both, both babies, both of my teenagers right now could have been casualties, but both moms gave life, and we gave it home. And those kids now, Abram and Callie, are the greatest joy of my life. They're great. They're unbelievable kids. But two months before all that happened, I had a choice to make of whether or not I would trust God. So this morning, I'm asking you are you living that kind of life at 50 years old? See, those are 19 year old stories I just told you, 17 year old stories. I want to have stories like that I tell you next time I come. I don't want to ever stop having those stories. I don't want to ever stop following God that way. When I'm eighty, when I'm ninety, I want to be telling fresh stories of how I trusted God with every part of my life. So can I pray for you this morning? I just I just felt this was a prophetic word to somebody here this morning. Are you receiving that? Are you receiving what the Lord's saying to you this morning? I want to just pray over you. Could you just close your eyes for a moment? And some of you are... Uh, I just... As I was awakened early this morning, some of you are at a really critical place right now. Super critical. And the question I have for you is that will you go where God says go? Will you do what God says to do? And will you trust Him with all of your heart? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. talk? Trust him with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Put him first. And he's going to lead you. Here's the word of the Lord some of you need to hear. The Lord loves you enough to lead you well. The Lord loves you enough to lead you into good pastures. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord is our shepherd. He wants to lead us and guide us and direct us. But you have to trust him first. You have to put your hope and your trust in this God that I'm talking about today. So would you just ask the Lord the question that I asked you at the beginning of the message, am I trusting God with every part of my life? With every part of my life? Am I really trusting God it's with every part of my life? So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer right now, and I, I said this before, I don't want you to pray this prayer unless you mean it. And, and I'm okay if you don't pray the prayer. I, I want you to hear that. I, I'm okay if you don't pray the prayer, because only pray this prayer if you really mean it. But I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that's pretty risky, quite honestly. It's very risky. And so, but if you want to pray this prayer, it will change the way you follow God. It'll radically shape the way you follow God. So I'm going to pray it out loud. If you want to pray it with me, repeat it after me. Father in heaven, I will go where you say go. I will do what you say do. I will trust you with all my life. I'm going to pray it one more time because some of you are almost courageous enough to pray that prayer, but I want you to pray it again with me if you want. I will go where you say go. I will do what you say do. I will trust you with all of my life. Father in heaven, I pray over this church. Lord, what a great church this is. What a faith-filled place this is. Lord, would you increase our faith? Would you give us boldness and courage Lord, would you make us a people that trust you with all of our heart? Lord, would you just, I just speak life and blessings over this church, over Pastor Mike, over this amazing congregation, that this would be a place that is marked by fearless faith. And I speak that life, I speak that hope, I speak joy and peace over them as they trust in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.